A smart person learns from their mistakes. A wise person learns from others' mistakes. Welcome to the My Mistakes Podcast. We cover the lessons learned from the mistakes we've made in business so you won't do the same. My name's Chris Chanchuli. I'll be sharing my experience going from working as a personal trainer to opening my own gym. I'm Sean Rosenfeld, and I'll be asking questions to understand why Chris did what he did and what he learned from it. After four years of working for the gym and being its fitness director, at this point I had five clubs that I was running and doing the hiring, firing, and training of the trainers. That was my responsibility for the clubs. There were five clubs on Long Island, and I put together a training manual. The training manual was different training practices, order of exercises, how to get a client to go through 24 sessions, which should take about three months. So I was teaching the trainers how to pace yourself so that you'd be able to get clients to renew and retention, which was key. And that was working well and helping the sales for all the clubs in that chain. At that point, I hinted to something that I wanted to have my own one-on-one facility, and I was thinking about doing a one-on-one place and not leaving the gym, but doing something maybe in addition to it. And one of the owners made a comment, what if I was willing to rent you space here? And I was kind of confused, not realizing what he meant. And it turned out, his offer was to sublet the office space, have my own company within, and then the gym would use my trainers for my company to train their clients. Only difference was the trainers would be wearing my company shirt within the gym. And when it came to payroll, the gym would cut a check to my company, and then it was up to me to pay the trainers. It was only for one of the clubs. So out of the five gyms, I was going to have one of them that I ran and owned the training company within. So I had, I would say, seven or eight trainers that were working regularly. And by regularly, I mean more than four or five sessions a week. And then there were probably three or four people that was their situation. They were aerobics instructors or group fitness instructors, and they may have had one or two clients, so they weren't really on the full trainer list. It was my job to set up members when they signed up with the gym, with the trainer. We would do an introductory session, which that was part of the agreement. I had to do one introductory session. However, I paid. My trainer was up to me, and I wanted to have a fair split. And when I say fair, a lot of trainers will say to their clients, I think that I should be making more. When they get close and they start talking about things like money or what they get paid, a common practice in gyms is a trainer will take money under the table and the client will pay less money in cash to the trainer and the trainer just won't put it through the front desk. So hopefully no one will catch them. Then they take cash for it. So on a $60 for an hour session, the gym might take maybe a 50-50 split. And for new trainers, that's what it usually is. A lot of trainers will say, that's ridiculous. I'm the one that does the training. Why would they be getting half of it? Many trainers don't realize, and for anyone that's a business owner, 
they will know this. It costs a lot of money for air conditioning, electricity, software, for running a training program, cleaning crews to come in, upkeep of equipment. Trainers never think that factors in. So they see themselves doing the session and they think they're the ones that should be making the majority of the session. That's not the case. So I didn't want to do 50-50. I wanted to do something higher. So I worked it out to where I could do the trainers that were training more than five sessions a week were getting a larger cut. And I was going 65% to the trainer, which was really generous for gyms of that time. And everything was going well. I was managing it well. It was a close-to-me operation where I was going to that gym every day, checking on things. A certain point came, or a certain point, a certain month, and I remember seeing a post-it note with someone's name. Please call back. This person reached out to you. Now, I recognize the name right away because I've been a competitive bodybuilder. I was a nationally competitive bodybuilder with a supplement deal, and I was in the industry, and I knew many people in the industry. And on Long Island, there was a very strong bodybuilding community, ha, no pun intended there, a strong or close community at that time, from the 90s into the 2000s, and this is 2005, yeah, 2005, 2006, around there. And I knew this guy's name on the post-it because... Ironically, I had taken one of my first certification courses, and he was an instructor. This was back in 1999. So when I saw his name on the post-it, it said his name, please call. So I sat down, like adrenaline going, I wonder why he's calling me, I wonder what this is all about, I wonder if it's something competing-wise. And I called him, and he was rather distraught because he had lost his job for one reason or another. That's not important. He was out of a job. He had two kids. He was 40 years old and he sounded very beside himself, saying he had no job. He wasn't sure what he was going to do. He needed to find a new training job right away. So I scheduled him to come in. I was trying to schedule for a day or two away. And he said, Can I come in today? And I was taken back. I said, Okay. So I rearranged my schedule and he came in and we sat down in my office. And it was like, I felt bad for the guy. He was talking about having two young kids and how's he going to put food on the table. And you can't just feed an infant water. You need to feed him formula. And I found it humorous because he was a joker and it was funny, but part of me felt bad for him because here's a 40 year old guy essentially begging me for a job. So how could I say no? And I wrote him a check, actually, and I said, why don't we count this as a consult that I did with you? And it was like my way of being nice because I really felt bad over the whole situation. So I gave him a check, and he gladly accepted it, folded it, put it in his pocket, he looked at it. And I worked out a deal without thinking about it, and this was an emotional decision to where I felt bad hearing about his children. And I wrote him a check, I think it was $120, $100, $120. and. I realized after he left what I had said to him, and that was, I'll pay you 70% of every session, plus I will give you 
a 20% commission on any new sale or new client and a 10% commission on all of your renewal packages. What I didn't do clearly was factor out what percentages I was giving away of the package. Because when you take what I was paying per session and what I was paying per commission on a new person and an old, there was next to no money left over for me because I still had to pay the club rent. Essentially, <laughs> looking back at it now, I see how friggin' stupid I was. Essentially, every new session he did for someone, I broke even or actually lost money. So I had to pay money to the club for every person that he trained. Wow, I was stupid. Well, I guess that's the purpose of this podcast so others can learn from the mistake. I'll leave it at that because this probably has about three episodes we can do with that experience. So I essentially felt bad for someone. I didn't think about it. I made a deal for that individual that I didn't even really process until after he left. And now saying it out loud, oh, wow. So clearly you made this decision based on your emotions. Why do you think it's dangerous to do this? And what would you have done differently? A very successful friend of mine told me a couple of years ago, whenever you have a situation or something said to you or a situation occurs, respond, but don't react. And that would have been great advice at that time. What I would have done different is when he told me his situation about not having a job, getting fired, having two kids at home, I should have listened to it and said, I'm really sorry to hear that. That must be awful. I can't imagine. I know that you know this area. I know that you're a good trainer. Let me get back to you in a day and I'll have an offer for you. That would have been responding without reacting in a way of getting emotional, feeling bad, seeing myself at that stage, and almost giving him money out of pity, not because I really needed him even at that moment, but we'll say that for a later show. So here you are, back to a business owner. What was different this time, if anything, from the first time? My attitude changed this time around because, again, if you've ever had a business, owned a business, it really, really sucks going back to being an employee. Not having to answer to anyone and being your own boss is great. When you're an employee and you have to listen to what someone tells you to do, whether it's the hours, whether it's in the job description, you have to do it. Being an employee sucks so much more when you've been a business owner and then have to go back to being an employee. So, I had a feeling of freedom because I was an employee at that point for, I think, four years before I got this opportunity. I was on a little bit of a power trip. Unfortunately, that didn't go away. That was still there, which, again, turned some people off who worked for me. So I guess the biggest difference was I was bringing in a lot more money with multiple trainers working for me. So I guess that'd be the only difference. Having the bigger staff, I still had an ego. I still was not nurturing people's feelings and building the team as constructively as I could have. So there's a lot I would have done different. 
so I guess I really wasn't that different. I guess my head inflated again for the second time when getting to call myself the boss. You make being a business owner sound so easy to do, is it? Here's the thing about being a business owner. I'm realizing it more and more now at this stage of my life at 41. I'm understanding that a business owner or a business person, it's not them having the knowledge of a skill set. It's knowing how to manage and budget how you distribute or provide that skill set. So a business owner is anyone that can keep their costs low and their profits high. A business owner is someone who's looking at a P&L and constantly trying to trim the fat, get lower prices from distributors or from vendors. That's being a business owner. So is being a business owner easy? It's easy to go get a tax ID number and file in the state or on the federal level for a business. Yes, that's easy. To perform a service that you've been trained in and know very well, yes, that's easy. To run a business and manage numbers and manage people, no, it's very difficult because it takes a lot of self-awareness. And I didn't have the self-awareness at that time. I didn't look at numbers correctly and I didn't manage people very well. The only thing I had going for me is I was a very good trainer because I knew that craft and still to this day know it in and out. What would you say to the person who has always been an employee and is on the fence about starting their own business? If you're on the fence, don't do it because being on the fence is doubting yourself. When the idea of going into work makes you feel physically sick to where you dread it, you hate it, you despise it, you don't want to spend another minute in there. If that's how you feel, then you should not be working there anymore. When you have that feeling, you have two options. You can either go work somewhere else or you can start your own business. And again, you have to ask yourself, I think those four things, how well do I know my craft first? Two, how am I with people and would I be able to manage people and respect my employees? That would be two. Am I good with numbers? Could I run a budget? That would be three. And self-awareness would be the other. Right there, if you're having to ask yourself, if you're not quite sure, you don't have the self-awareness to know this is something that you want to do. So if you're on the fence, don't do it yet. Wait till you fall off the fence one way or the other. And then at that point, you'll know I'm out of here or I'm going to go find another job. How did you know how to start your own business? Did you have any mentors or anyone to bounce questions off of? The sad thing is, yes, I had people around me that I could have bounced many ideas off of because many of my clients were business owners themselves, but I didn't want to admit anything that I didn't know. So I wouldn't have asked because asking would have implied that I don't have the answer. And I thought that I was supposed to have all the answers and that business owners have all the answers. And no, I didn't bounce questions. But the simple act of going in, all you have to do is ask your accountant, can you file for an EIN number so I can have a registered business? To go to open a business banking account, all you need is your EIN number and your photo ID, and now you have a bank account. And then you've got to get a credit card processing machine. So if you can fill out the form that's associated with that, you now are, quote unquote, in business. So anyone can do it. and. Really, it just takes asking a couple of questions. I was always willing to ask the questions 
how do I go open this account or who do I talk to? But when it came to asking questions that involved thought, I think I was too afraid of what people would think of me and protecting my ego. So that's how I was able to open a business and a business banking account and have a credit card machine, but not actually build the staff or the business internally. And that's why ultimately they didn't last. For more info, visit us at getconnects.com. That's G-E-T-C-O-N-N-E-X-X.com. On Instagram at connects underscore or on Facebook at connects comma I-N-C.